right, James chapter number five. Hopefully, uh, we're there. And let me just say this as we come to James chapter number five, verse seven through the end of the chapter, I was going to attempt to try to cover all of that at one time. But after spending much time going through the verses and the end of the chapter from verse seven all the way through the end of the chapter, uh, there is absolutely no way to get through all of it. So I'm going to divide this last part of James's letter into two parts because I think this next part is so critical and so important. You know, we think about that song that we just sang, what he's done, okay? How often do we set and consider what he has done and consider what we have in him and what we have through Jesus Christ? And I think when we do, and, and let me say, his, history is moving forward and the events are so rapidly approaching today but they can be really separated into two parts, though, when, when we think about it. Number one is the things that we cannot control, and then those things that we can control. And so James, as he comes to this part of the letter, is going to share some of those with us. And there's, there's actually this portion of the letter I want to divide up into four pieces for you, Okay. Uh, I'm going to give them to you real quickly, and then we're going to go through each one of them, all right? And here's the four of them that I want to give to you this morning. Number one is to be patient. Number two is to strengthen your heart. Number three is to don't complain. And then number four is examples of those who endured suffering with patience. And I know it says 7 through 20. But we're going to do 7 through 11 this morning. So let's go to James chapter 5 and let's read them this morning and then we'll get into them. Notice as James writes in the letter, he said, Therefore, be patient, brethren. And I want you to understand who he's writing to. He's writing to believers here. So he says to be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until he gets the early and the late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job or the patience of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. The very first thing that James does is he draws this letter to a conclusion. After everything he's been through, when you go all the way back to the first portion of his letter in James chapter number 1, one of the things that James says is to count it all joy when you fall into trials and testings and all of those things. Why? Because it produces within inside of us an endurance or a patience, of which it should do, 
but oftentimes it doesn't. So in encouraging his readers to the believers that are there, he says to be patient. And so he reminds his readers of something that I think we often miss in this passage, that their hope is in a future event. My dear friend, listen to me. Our hope today is in a future event. It is not into today. It is not into the things that we see taking place. Our hope is in a future event, event that is coming, I don't believe, in the too distant future. But we have to be patient. And I know for some that's tough. For some that's a difficult thing to do is to be patient I hear people say this all the time. We must be getting close as we watch all of this stuff unfold. We must be getting closer today because how much longer can this world continue at at the pace? that I don't know. I have no idea how long it continues. There's only one who knows, and that's God himself. The Father knows that day when it's coming. But as we watch it, all the things that are taking place today, if we're not careful, we can get so hung up in all of the stuff that's taking place and we become one of these, oh me, what are we going to do? My dear friend, listen to me, please. Let me encourage your heart this morning. Our hope is not into today. Our hope is in a future event that's coming. Our hope in what is in what he's already done. And so therefore, as we think about that, we just need to be patient. As believers, however, the greatest hindrance to patience is a lack of hope. And my dear friend, look around. I hear people say this all the time. <laughs> Man, I tell you what, I, we, I don't think there's any hope left. My dear friend, listen to me. As long as Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father and God is on the throne, there is hope, my dear friend. And I hate to tell you this, he's not going anywhere. He is the eternal father. That's who he is. He is God. He is the sovereign one, the creator of all that there is, the one who holds all of it together. My dear friend, he's got it together. He knows the end from the beginning. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is God. That's who he is. And our hope is in him, not in ourselves. Not in the world around us. Uh, Hopefully your hope is not in the government. Hopefully your hope is not in what we see every day. Hopefully your hope is not in the news media. Our hope ought to be where? Our hope is in a future event. But he doesn't stop there. He goes to verse 8. And he says, not only do we need to be patient... But one of the other things that we need to do is to make sure that we strengthen our hearts. When you look at verse 8, he says, you too be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. What does he mean by the strengthening of our hearts? What in the world does James mean when when he writes that? What he means is he means to stand firm and immovable. Now, James has, was the book of James, the letter of James, when James wrote the letter, was 30 years after the ascension of Jesus Christ. That's when the letter was written. And let me tell you something, there's been scoffers and there have been those who have said, well, you know, so where is the promise of his coming? 
Matter of fact, everything's been going on every day just like it always has. Where is the promise of your coming, of his coming? He's coming. It is going to occur just the way that Jesus said it would occur. And he gave us those things that are going to outline what that coming may look like as we move closer to that day. But my dear friend, none of us know, who's, none of us know when that time frame is. He says, strengthen your heart. He gives an illustration in verse 7 of the farmer, which is an interesting illustration that James uses. The farmer waits for his crops to come in. However, it depends on something outside of his control. We as a believer today should hold to the fact that his coming is certain. He is going to return. Well, how do we know that? Well, turn with me to Romans chapter 8 and look at verse 18. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. And for us, our greatest hope is in the return of Christ. The certainty of that return. And so when we consider this, look at what Paul writes. He said, let's start in verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be, notice that next phrase, glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. The day's coming, my dear friend, when he will return. And when he returns, our glory will be revealed at that moment in time when we find ourselves in his presence. My dear friend, our hope is in a future event, not in today. It's in something that's coming. And so when we consider that, we can strengthen our heart knowing for a certainty that it is going to occur. Paul also wrote about this in his letter to the church at Corinth. Flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I want you to notice with me beginning in verse 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. And my dear friend, if I could encourage you with something today, just don't lose heart. I mean, we all sang that song just a moment ago of what he's done. Did you pay attention to the words in that song, what he's done? My dear friend, there is no reason today for us to lose heart. I know it gets difficult. I know it gets taxing sometimes. And I know sometimes that people just seem like they don't care. They don't want to hear it. My dear friend, listen to me. It's not about their reaction. It's about what we've been called to do. Just because their reaction is not favorable to the message that we bring does not negate the fact that we need to continue to bring the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's between the individual and God. 
My dear friend, if you could, please listen to me. Just stay steadfast, immovable. Allow yourself to remain firm at the calling that God has placed on us. And as a church, we need to understand it ain't over yet. Jesus Christ has not returned. And my dear friend, as we look at the world and culture around us, I hear people say this all the time, what's the use? I will tell you what the use is. The use is because of what he's done. It's because of what he's done, not what we've done, what he's done. And so there for us, we need to make sure that we strengthen our heart. Paul goes on in verse 16. He says, but though our outer man is decaying, I hate to tell you this, it is. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. I got up the other day and had an appointment to go see the doctor and go see the doctor. And I look, I'm looking in the mirror at myself and I'm looking at my hands, you know, and I'm looking at my face. And I'm like, boy, it's aging. And I hate to tell you this, it's decaying as well. <laughs> huh? It's decaying. You know, the bones and everything just ain't quite like they used to be. But our outer man's decaying. And my dear friend, that's what the scripture says. We're made from the dust of the ground, created in the very image of God. This outer shell is decaying. But I want you to notice what Paul writes. He said, even though the outer man is decaying, he says, guess what's happening on the inside or should be happening on the inside? Yet our inner man is being what? It's being renewed day by day. Well, how is your... How is your inner man renewed day by day? I tell you what you need to do. Spend time with him. Understand and be a part of his mercies every single morning. Why? Because they're new every single morning. So our inner man should be renewed, strengthened, encouraged. Is it easy to get discouraged in the work? It is. Is it easy to get sidetracked in the work? It is. Is it easy for our attention to be drawn off of where it should be? It is. But my dear friend, listen to me. Just keep your attention focused on what he's already done. It's not going away. Verse 17, he says, for momentary. Light afflictions is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Do you realize this morning, if you're a believer, you get ready for this. If you're a, a born-again believer this morning, I want you to understand something. You're an heir. You're a joint heir with Jesus Christ. To all that he has. My dear friend, listen to me. If that don't excite you, I don't know what will. Understanding and realizing that one day our glorification will be made reality for us. When our redemption is complete, our glorification will be a reality for us. Not here. Paul said a momentary light afflictions, persecution, suffering, depression, all of those things that we have to deal with here. One day is all going to come to an end. Verse 18, 
while we look not at the things which are seen. In other words, my dear friend, listen to me. Get your eyes off of the world and get them back on Jesus Christ where they should be. I tell you what, listen to the news. Mm. Matter of fact, what I thought was interesting just this week, I'm going to tell you something. The climate patterns around the country, around the world right now have all of the scientists baffled. Well, I hate to tell you this, don't have me baffled. Doesn't have me baffled at all. Why? Go read the Word of God. It is all coming to a close, my dear friend. Here's what Jesus said. There are going to be things that are going to occur that you've never seen before. And matter of fact, they're going to get progressively worse. That's what's coming. But let me tell you what it's doing. It's moving us closer to his return. So what's 120 degrees? Hot. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's hot. It definitely is hot. But notice what he says in verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are what? Not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are what? They're eternal. My dear friend, listen to me. Get your eyes on him. and Get them off of the world. So this farmer, let's go back to James 5. So this farmer in verse number 7, he waits for his crops to come in, but you notice in verse 7, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and the late rains. There's just something about a garden that needs the rains. You can put a water hose on them all day long, but it just don't do for them what they need from the rain. You, know what, you, know, you ever thought about why? God knew what he was doing. God knew what he was doing. So so what about these early and these late rains? You see, the farmer can only do so much, and he realizes that the rest of it is outside of his control. The early rains in Palestine came during the fall planting time of October to November. That's the early rains. The late rains came in March or April during the harvest time. And so everything depended on these rains. But they had no control over it. So what is the lesson that we draw from verse 7 and verse 8 of this letter? I mean, what, what does it mean for us? Well, let me give you the application of it. Let me give you the lesson of it this morning. Here's what James is saying. He says, wait patiently for the return of Christ. Look at verse 7, until the coming of the Lord. <clears throat> Look at verse 8, strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is what? It's near. He uses that same theme over and over and over again. And let me say to you this morning, he is coming. So what does it mean for us? We should be busy at the work of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we should be busy at. Number three, verse nine. I want you to notice the first three words. Do not, do not complain. Do not complain. Brethren, 
speaking to believers. He said, don't complain against one another so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Don't complain. What does he mean by that? Don't complain against each other is what he says. Don't complain against each other. You know, as we experience hardships and difficulties in the world, let me tell you what we can be tempted to do. We can be tempted to grumble and complain against the Lord and against each other if we're not careful. Is it easy to grumble and complain? (laughs) Yeah, but Lord, you just don't understand. Really? You think he doesn't understand? God, you just don't know. God, you just don't know so-and-so. God, you, you, you just don't know. God, you just don't know about this situation. God, you just don't know where I am. God, you just don't know about the job I work in. And I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. My dear friend, we need to get our eyes off of things that are temporal and get things that are on, in the place that it should be on things that are eternal. Understanding and realizing that this is just temporary. So here's what James writes. He says, don't complain, brethren, against one another so that yourselves may not be judged. But behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Here's something I think we forget sometimes. Do you realize that when Jesus Christ does return... One of the first stops for us will be at the judgment seat of Christ. Not to be judged for our sin. But to be judged for what we've done for Christ, whether it is good or bad. Our motivation behind what we do. The motivation behind our serving. So why is it that we serve? Why is it that we do? Why is it that we share? Why is it that we participate in all the things that God has for us? Is it so that everybody else can see our participation? So that we can get our names in lights? So that we can get all of the honor and the glory because of it? My dear friend, no. It should not be. The reason that we do it is for his honor and for his glory, not ours. So the question becomes, what if you never, what if you never receive any of it here on this side? <laughs> so be it, I'm not worried about here. Because Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, here's what he said. Here's what he wrote. Jesus speaking specifically, he said, if you get the praise of men here, you've already received your reward. Our desire should be for reward Where? In heaven, not here. Not here. And then number four. One of the things that James does in verse 10 and verse 11. You know, I hear people say this all the time. Well, Brother Robert, you know, the Old Testament is just really not relevant to us at all. Well, I tell you this, if it's not, then why in the world does James make reference to it? He said, oh, remember the Old Testament prophets? So guess what I did over this last week? I went through and read through some of the minor prophets 
those like <clears throat> Obadiah and Amos and Micah. Just go through and read them. Read the message that they were tasked to deliver. So James says in verse number 10, as an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You've heard of the endurance of Job. And you've seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. You see, the Old Testament prophets serve as fitting examples of those who patiently endured evil treatment from people because they spoke in the name of the Lord. You speak in the name of the Lord, you might as well get ready. It's coming. How do you know? Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 20. Let's just look at one of the prophets. Let's go, let's go look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 7. I want you to understand who Jeremiah is. He is one of the prophets that God called to deliver a specific message. That's who he is. Given the task of delivering a message that was not easy to deliver. And I, let me just share this with you. These are not crowd-drawing messages either. So Jeremiah, in obedience to what God called him to do, beginning in verse number 7 of chapter 20, I want you to notice, <clears throat> O Lord, you have deceived me and I was deceived. You have overcome me and prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. For each time I speak, I cry aloud. I proclaim violence and destruction because for me the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. And let me share something with you. All Jeremiah had done was to deliver the message that God gave to him to deliver. That's all he's done. And he said, in reproach and derision all day long, because I proclaimed the word of the Lord. Look at verse 9. But if I say, I will not remember him <clears throat> or speak any more in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire. Shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in, and I cannot endure it. The message that God had given to Jeremiah, regardless of how difficult the day came, Jeremiah said, if I hold it inside of me and don't share it the way that I should, he said, it's like a burning coal inside of me. It's how important the message was. And my dear friend, as believers today, the good news of Jesus Christ ought to be inside of us like a burning fire that we cannot retain it with inside of ourselves. It must come out. But how often do we hold it in? 
cold delivering a message of judgment in because it is just not culturally popular. My dear friend, listen to me. We, didn't, we, we weren't called to deliver a culturally popular message. Jesus said himself in Luke, he said, you think I've come to bring peace? He said, you need to understand, but division will come as a result of who I am. Division. Do you realize the preaching of the cross is an offense to those who hear it? Does that mean we don't deliver? Does it mean we don't share Jesus Christ? Uh Uh-uh. Let's go to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter number 7. How many of y'all remember Stephen? Mm Mm-hmm. Good old Stephen. Acts chapter 7, verse 51. That's where we'll begin. Stephen kind of calls it like it is, doesn't he? He looks at the crowd around him and here's what he says. He said, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit, you are doing just as your fathers did. Verse 52, which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And let me tell you who he's talking to here. He's speaking to the Jews. He's speaking to the religious elite here. That's who he's speaking to. He said, so which one of them did not you persecute? But all of them. That's who you persecuted. They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one. Whose betrayers and murderers, notice what Stephen says, you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. That's quite a, that's quite a statement that Stephen makes. My dear friend, listen to me. Here's what the world needs to hear today. The same message of the prophets, the same message that we see from Stephen here. You need to understand, world, judgment is coming. I know it's not popular. I know that culture says, don't worry about it. We're all going to get... Matter of fact, I was just reading yesterday this big new push. These ones who hold to the exclusivity of Jesus Christ as the only way to get to heaven is wrong. That was not the intent of Jesus Christ in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Synoptic Gospels, nor of John. He died for all, so that all may go. He said at the end of the day, the one who was writing this, he said at the end of the day, here's what's going to matter. It's going to matter of how we lived and what we did. And my dear friend, I thought to myself, I'm sitting up here and I'm listening to this song. Philip singing this song, what he's done. I'm thinking, I'm, and this, I said, 
Philip, why don't you just go ahead and preach the message this morning? Mighty friend, please listen to me. It's not about what you've done. It's all about what he's done. And there's only one way you're going to get to heaven, and that's through him. That's it. There is no other way. Stephen knew that. Stephen's getting ready to be ushered in to his eternal home. And what does he do? He delivers a message of truth. My dear friend, listen to me. The world today needs to hear the message of the truth. Oh, and don't forget about Job. Real quickly, turn with me to Job. Good old Job. Good old Job. Have you ever considered Job? There was not a man like him. Job chapter 2. I'm just going to hit a couple highlights for you for the sake of time this morning. Job chapter 2. And look at verse number 10. Let's look at 9 and 10. All right? Job chapter 2, verse 9 and verse 10. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Here's what she told him. Just go ahead and curse God and you'll die. It'll be over. But look at verse 10. But he said to her, You speak of, as, as one of the foolish women speaks, Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. Look at chapter 13. Now, I will say this to you. Job cursed the day he was born. Was Job in misery? Sure was. Did Job have some supposed friends that came by and was going to share with him and give him all this great insight? He did. But guess what? Their message that they delivered to Job was not what Job needed at the time. Look at chapter 13, and I want you to notice with me verse 15. Let's start in verse 13. Be silent before me so that I may speak. Then let come on me what may. Why should I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in my hands? And notice what he says. Though he slay me, I will what? I will hope in him. Even if he slays me, I'm still going to hope in him. Nevertheless, I will argue my ways before him. Though he slays me, I will still hope in him. And then finally, this morning, to bring this portion of the letter to a close, turn with me to Psalm uh, chapter 30 and verse 5. Psalm chapter 30 and verse 5. Psalm chapter 30 and verse 5. Psalm chapter 30 and verse number 5. For his anger is but for a moment... His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, 
but a shout of joy comes what? Comes in the morning. Weeping may come for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Why was it that Jeremiah, as he came to the end of his life, as we read the lamentations of Jeremiah, why is it that Jeremiah could say, his mercies are new every morning? I will tell you why. Because he needed them every single day. For us, what do we need? His mercies every single morning. In verse 11, he finished with the very character of God. James writes of the compassion and the mercy of God. The compassion and the mercy of God. That the Lord is full of compassion. And is what? He's merciful. So if I could encourage you, church, this morning, it would be with this. As we see the clouds getting darker... Evil increasing. Please listen to me. Please. I deal with it week after week. You know, I just get tired of hearing all of the statistics. This is down and this is down and this is down and this is down and post-COVID and pre-COVID and this is down and this is down and this is down. My dear friend, listen, we don't serve based on statistics. We serve based on what he's done. We don't serve based upon whether or not the message is popular or not. We serve based upon what he's done. My dear friend, we serve based upon what's coming. So don't let your head drop down in sorrow. Discouragement may come, but don't stay there. Look up. Because your redemption is drawing near. Your redemption is drawing near. Amen? Are you ready to go? Are you ready to continue? Are you ready to fight? Are you ready to share the truth? God help us if we not. Because if we're not, we're going to lose the battle. The war's already been won. I can tell you right now, it's already been won. But my dear friend, we got battles we face every single day. It's time to strengthen our hearts. Be patient. Hold to the, to the example that we have in the Old Testament prophets and even Stephen. You know, when they were about to stone Stephen, it was like the Holy Spirit come and took Stephen by the, by the head and, and, and turned his face up toward heaven. And when Stephen looked up, he saw Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of the Father. Mm. I don't know about you, but he's still there. And he's coming one day to take us home. 